Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. How are you? You? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you. I don't know why my voice has to get high. <laughs> what up? Asking, how are you? How are you sleeping? How'd you sleep last night, huh? Or may- maybe, maybe you're up in the middle of the night listening to this podcast, whichever it is. Uh, I'm glad you joined me. I'm glad you're here right now and listening and tuning in. I hope this podcast episode finds you in good health. We have a great and wonderful episode for you. This was fun, and uh, you're going to get a lot of value out of this. We, in one hour, you've heard me talk about nutrient-dense episodes, and that's what this podcast is. This, This podcast is a sweet potato with quinoa and uh and kale and and like grass-fed beef right there uh we have lawrence jackson who is a phd uh, assistant professor at unlv and uh has a private practice uh out there in, in, in vegas where he helps people uh of all types of diverse backgrounds uh who are struggling with depression anxiety familial conflict uh, non-traditional relationships, sexual issues, and other life transitions. Uh, he has a monthly event called Black Therapy Fridays uh, that helps uh, change the narrative related to therapy for people of color and helping others recognize the benefits of therapy. Today we get into so much. Y'all not you're gonna have to put a seatbelt on for this one. Uh, today we talk about personal growth. Yeah, because for those out there who are uh, so outcome-oriented, you want to get that A, or if you have kids who are focused on getting an A, or if you're that person that's, that's uh, achievement-oriented um, and you don't know how to take a, take a second to step back and, uh, and that stress and that overwhelm is getting to you, uh, we talk about how to handle. You can still be a perfectionist. You can still be achievement-oriented, but what you need to do in addition to being achievement-oriented. We also talk about how to handle transitions. A lot of people are transitioning right now. How do you handle transitions? And how do you handle cultural pressures, right? We, we have a lot of cultural pressures and expectations that are put upon us, um, and sometimes we're putting those on the people around us, and we're not even aware and this is, this is, I mean, what he, what he discusses, I repeat like 10 times just so you guys get uh, what he's saying and so that I get what he's saying also. Um, and then we also talk about the moment that brought him to tears. That's right. The moment that made him cry. He broke down. Not during the episode, but a moment in his life that brought him. And then we get into relationship talk. Oh, yeah. I know you, you like to hear about relationships, don't you? We all do, right? Um, and we differentiate the difference between cheating, entanglements, infidelity, and boundary violations. Oh, yeah. Do you know what a boundary violation is? Nah, you've never, you've never discussed boundary violations. Uh, and that leads us into our conversation about the code of conduct for your relationship and, and the importance of creating that. And even if you're not in a relationship, creating a code of conduct for yourself or for your future relationships, 
Um, and then for those of us who are feeling overwhelmed, oh, yeah, I've been overwhelmed these past couple of days. I've been, Leo Flowers has been eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's how you know I'm overwhelmed. You, you may have heard my girlfriend giggling in the background just now. When Leo Flowers is reaching for the PB&Js, oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then I had some ice cream with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sharing all the things. Don't, I'm not, I'm not going to hold back at all. Uh, and then uh, we also, I, I feel like I haven't progressed at all as a male. We talk about performance anxiety in women. It's always talked about for men. But today we talk about performance anxiety for women. And then uh, what does it mean when women say they're not in the mood? Oh, yeah, so we get into some intimacy talk. Uh, we even get into some um, auto-eroticism talk and the importance of understanding your body, right? And uh, we get into so much more. But that's, that's all in an hour, ladies and gentlemen. That's all in an hour. So sit back, relax, enjoy the episode. I hope this finds you in good health. hope you're sleeping well. I hope your bowel movements are, are smooth and quick, you're in and out of there, uh, wash your hands, and go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Now, you don't have to wash your hands to go to thrivewithleo.com. You can, you can go to thrivewithleo.com with dirty, filthy hands. You can go to thrivewithleo.com with the COVID hands, okay? Uh, but go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, and let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's jump into the episode. Uh, where, where are you located right now? I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, Yeezy. Y'all, man, you're not, you're not stepping outside at all. It's like nope. 10,000 degrees. Went no parts. None at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're out there in Las Vegas because you're an assistant professor at UNLV, correct? Mm-hmm. And, right, and so yes. what, do you, what are you teaching at UNLV? And so I am working within a couple and family therapy program. And so we have a master's in couple and family therapy um, that we train master level clinicians to serve the community in a lot of different capacities. And so I teach some of those core classes for them to um, be able to get that training and graduate. I supervise them as well. Uh, I also work with undergrads and teach different classes within our family and child sciences uh, our family and child, family and child minor, um, and, and some of those classes are so much fun. We got classes like personal growth, when I really just kind of work through different ways to grow and different capacities to measure and assess your levels of growth and things overcome. Um, sometimes it's teaching classes like intro to couple and family therapy, which is learning about the different models and how we how we view things and how we serve communities based on kind of our thought processes and the theoretical backgrounds that we may use as well. Um, so it's a lot of fun. We really enjoy it. So basically, you teach everything. I mean, that sounds like all the things. They, they, they put me, you know, it's, it's a diverse portfolio. I would like to say that. It's definitely a diverse portfolio. I uh, get a little bit of here, get a little bit of there. Um, but it's a lot of fun overall. You, you talk about uh, teaching personal growth. And I remember we had uh, personal growth courses in college. Uh, and I fell asleep. I, I, was, I, was, I picked the seat in the back of the class. I would lay down. I'd be like, person, whatever. Uh, and now that I'm 44, I'm like, I'm all about that personal growth. What, yeah. what is the message you're trying to communicate to college students? I, I mean, it, it's like the, the last thing they're really trying to do is grow. That's the, that's the last thing they're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think the biggest message is reflection. I think an important part of growth is self-reflection, um, self-introspection, and, and this class really kind of forces them as they maneuver through to do that, right? And so one of the things I first, one of the first things I say during the first day of class is, you know, hey, what is, what is your goal for this class, right? And everybody's like, oh, I want to make an A, I want to make an A, I want to make an A, or, you know, I want to pass this class. Well, in order to do that, there's going to be some self-reflection, self-introspection that's going to take place within this class, right? And so we kind of funnel things in a way that that forces them to some capacity, right, to do some introspection on themselves, figure out some things that they can improve on, um, whether it be like, hey, I want you to sit in silence for five minutes and just see what comes to your brain and write it down, right? Or something like, okay, now I want you to meditate, see what the difference was, right? See, see, see what has changed during that five minutes in this particular capacity compared to the other, um, and so I think in a lot of ways, it's just a lot of self-reflection because I believe that helps them to, to learn more about themselves. And when you learn more about yourself, you're able to pick up on things you can improve on and maybe things that you really like about yourself do you want to keep on um, maintaining. What I love about the personal growth aspect and, and, and emphasizing reflection is that, you know, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts, you know, my girlfriend is right now working to work the, uh, she's uh, training to work for the suicide prevention hotlines. And the two most prevalent calls that they're receiving at this time, and when I say this time, it's, uh, we're in July, and I'm saying this because I don't know when this is going to air, but um, are uh, regarding grades and regarding breakups. And so for you to mention you know, kids always saying that they want to get an A or they want to get the best grade or, you know, they want to graduate summa cum laude and, and, and putting all this pressure on themselves and thinking they have to go, go, go because they see everybody else uh, or at least it looks like everybody else is going and achieving and getting straight A's and working two jobs and volunteering and uh, starting, a, 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 a creating a startup. You know, it feels like everybody's doing all the things. Um so for you to emphasize reflection so that th- these students who feel all this pressure know that uh, it's, it's about the process and it's about making sure that the direction that you're headed is aligned with your values and not someone else's expectations. Because I'm sure you find that also is that this pressure to get an A to achieve uh, is usually not primarily theirs. It's coming from some outside uh, fact, whether it's their parents or a message from society. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I'm thinking back even to part of my undergrad experience and like, you know, hey, I'm doing this because it's what my parents want, right? And then figuring out along the way that that's not what I want. And even that was a big transition, like saying like outwardly, this is not what I want to do. I want to do something else, right? And there's a life transition that comes with that because in, in some ways you're kind of living under that 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 mold right that you've been conditioned to socialize around and now you're doing something different and, and now you're starting to view things in a different light and, and, and it takes a growth that's a growth process right and that definitely takes a lot of time but it's definitely a life transition that that causes some of the stress right causes some of these like am i in control what am i in control of what am i not in control of and the pressure and stress that comes along with that as well man there's there's two things i want to unpack one, I want to I want to put a pin in that whole idea of transition and sitting down and taking time to figure out what am I in control of and what am I not in control of. But I want to go back and talk about when someone sits down or reflect, right? 
and and to, to gain self-awareness. And then they, they realize that the path that they're on is not aligned with their values or uh, it's, it's, it's another voice that's been guiding them. What's their next step? After they sit down and reflect, they're like, uh-oh, this is not what I really want to do. Where do they go from there? Yeah. And so my biggest motto, um, I have it like on everything, my business cards, even in personal growth, any other my other classes, I make sure that students leave knowing this saying, right? Um, and it's awareness brings opportunity for change, right? You can't change things that you're not aware of. And that's what takes place in the, like, the self-reflection stage, right? But awareness itself doesn't bring change about, right? You can be aware of something, right, and not make any changes about it. You can be aware it's cold and not put no clothes on, right? Um, and so what I, what I try to also share with them is that while awareness brings the opportunity for change, intentionality brings change about. You can't change things out, be intentional and purposeful about making certain certain changes in your life, right? And so when, once they are able to realize these things, the hardest part is the intentionality piece, right? That's the action piece. That's that next bigger step. And while it's, it's, it's one thing being aware of it, it's another thing making those moves. And so what we try to do is try to help them figure out the pros and cons of each, right? If you stay on this path and you know, you know it's not what you want to do, are you going to have a fulfilling life? Are you going to enjoy your relationships? Are you going to be able to continue to improve in these different capacities? Or if you were to make this change, will it be initially hard, but overall be a better fit for you, right? And so, like, sometimes I, I like to say that, you know, temporary inconvenience is a bridge to long-term benefits, right? And so sometimes temporarily being kind of inconvenienced at the time may be something that's beneficial for you long-term, right? Maybe it's just part of the process, but not the end goal. And so being able to recognize that and be able just to work through that and help students work through that and find another mechanism to help them work through that is extremely important. Um, I think it's a really big part of that class, which I really, really enjoy. You know, I, I love that part. It's first you're aware, and then it, we do have to take action. Do we put the coat on? Do we not put it on? For a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of students and even a lot of uh, adults, Part of that pressure is a cultural expectation. Yeah. Um, I have friends who are uh, my, my one of my friends was telling me about her friend who is Indian and yeah. and the expectations that uh, are not just placed on her uh, from her family, but but from the culture, the expectations of the culture. How do you help? Uh, what like what does a student say to their family, to their culture to, to say, hey, I know the expectation is A, but I got to go B. How do they have that yeah. conversation? What do they say? Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely tailored to every, every approach, right? But I think it's being able to discover some of these secondary um, or the primary emotions instead of secondary, right? And so maybe some of the reasons behind some of these um, expectations is a bigger message, I want my kids to be better than me. I want them to be successful, right? And being able to utilize that as a as a starting point for that conversation. So being able to help them identify some of the primary emotions, the primary implications of kind of these expectations from their parents and helping them be able to work through it that way. And so like, hey, mom and dad, I know you really wanted me to 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 be successful. I know you want me to be, you know, better than you are and these different capacities. And I really appreciate the the care and love that you shared for me. Right. And, and I really feel like this can also be accomplished in these different ways. Right. And so being able to utilize kind of what's really at the core of these things. Right. And, and I think, I think back even for me, like 
you know, my parents, you know, being in their seventies and, and being African American, and you know, they their thoughts was, I want my son to be a doctor because that holds a lot of power, right? And for them, because they didn't they were not able to make it in this capacity for them, right? They thought that that's that's what I want for my kids. I want them to be better, and this is a way that it can look better. Right. And so when I had that conversation, I had to let them know, like, hey, like, I know what you're trying to do. I know what the message that you're sending. And I think you're doing a great job of that. And this is another way I can do that. And it just may look differently than what you're expecting. So it's not that the outcome would be different. It's just my mechanism, the way of going about it would be different. And it's something that better fits me. Man, I love that. I, I really I want to hone that. I want to drive that into people who, who are listening into their head. This is another way I can do that. I'm going to say it again. This is another way I can do that. Man, I love that coming from you, Lawrence. Uh, is, can I call you Lawrence? Larry, what do they call you out sure. there on the streets? LJ? What, sure. what is it? Um, Whole bunch of Lawrence, LJ, L, all the things. So it's all the all things. Um, and, and, and the fact that it sounds like what you're saying is uh, if, you're, if you're an adult or a kid and you're feeling parental uh, pressures or expectations is to, one, address their concerns is to say, hey, I understand you're thinking about my safety, you're thinking about my health, and you're thinking about my future. I, I, I understand that. And, and I understand that you think that if I become a doctor and get straight A's, that gives me X, Y, and Z. Whether, like for you, you gave the example of uh, being a doctor g- gives you power, right? And so when, and that's the root of it, is that they want you to have power. They don't want you to feel powerless because, yeah. you know, maybe for your parents, um, uh, they experienced a, a feeling of powerlessness and they're like, the, the last thing I want my kids to feel is that way. So what you'll find is that your, your parents, are, there's, an, uh, there's an emotion or a value that, that, they are, um, that they want you to have and that they also want you to avoid, it, right? And uh, once you get to that, then you can say, here's some other ways I can achieve that. So w- we both get what we want. You want me to have power, I want to have power. Nobody doesn't want to walk the earth without power, but there's yeah. so many ways to get the juice, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That cool uh, finale. There's so many ways to get to the finish line. Absolutely. Uh, and and, and now to, to go back, because we were talking about transitions earlier. And, and yeah. I, I love that because I'm always talking about, you know, when I um, life coaching and people come to me, it's it, the, the three T's for me have always been traumas, transitions, and tragedies, right? Like it's yeah. people fall into uh, issues, fall into one of those three categories uh, as far as how I look at it. And uh, transitions are so challenging for a lot of people. Uh, can you talk to us about how to handle that? You talked about what you can, uh, can control and what you can't control. Yeah. Yeah. And so, we, we always experience life transitions. And I say always because in every, every capacity, everything we do, there's going to be a time in our life when something's going to change. It's a transition, right? The difference is that we maybe have the access to resources. We maybe have um, the support necessary that makes that, that feeling, um, the adaption to some of those transitions easy. But that's not always the case, right? And so like, I'm thinking about even what's happening in society right now, covid the reason why things are are, are, are are impacting us at different capacities is because we now have a stressor above and beyond any other stressors. We might not have the access to the same amount of resources to be able to adapt through it. 
So we may have maladaption, right? We may be, we, we may be able to uh, adapt at, at a consistent level or maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, right? And we may have something else that might come right after that, right? Um, that could be that much more challenging to navigate through. And so when I think about life transitions and, and even going back to kind of the what you can control, what you can't control, I think it's important to recognize that there's things that occur that we can't control. And, and I think what, what comes challenging is that when we as human beings try to control things, we can't. Because when, once you realize we can't control them, it's not like we're like, all right, cool, can't control this, I'm out. We're like, no, I'm going to find a way to control this, I'm going to make it happen. And so we put more energy, put more stress, right? And we raise that anxiety level even higher trying to control something we can't. In actuality, it does nothing but causes us to be at a higher level of anxiousness, a higher level of stress, um, and experience these things all at once. And so I had to really work with people to recognize that we maybe not control certain situations, but we control our relationship with those situations. We control how we react to these situations, right? And so we may be not we may not be able to control our, our best friend being upset with us, but we may be able to control how we interact with that best friend and how we feel about that. We may not be able to control that we don't have, you know, certain research for X, Y, and Z, but we may be able to control how we feel, our mood, our emotions. Right. How we choose to navigate that day. Right. And so really trying to figure out what are these things in these moments. Right. That feel like this really compounding that stressor onto us. Right. That we can't control and focusing on that. I have conversations with my clients all the time about focusing on finding ways. Right. To control the things you can within the constraints. Right. And so if, if we're dealing with the kind of environmental constraints, cool, what we can do within that environment that can make us happy? What can we do in, in that, within that environment that we can't control? Be able to really work on those things instead of focusing on those things we can't control because it's going to do nothing but continue, continually raise our anxiety, continue to raise our stress. Um, and, and, and no matter how much we do that, it's not going to cause us to gain more control of these things. And so I really look at the locus of control of these things, being able to control what you can, right, and let go of the things that you can't. And it's hard to let go, right? It's hard to be like, all right, cool, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let it, everything's all right, right? I kind of look at anxiousness as the worry of the future, right, a worry of the things we can't control. But really being able to focus on the present of what you can and be able to hone in on that and do the best you can within those moments. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I want to piggyback on that because you talk about letting go, and uh, at this time, because we're, we're talking about not just the, the COVID nineteen, but the, the yeah. protests and 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 Black Lives Matter movement, and, uh, and and we have this kind of cancel culture. And uh, what I'm finding is that people are um, cutting people out of their lives um, yeah. because uh, they they're looking for allies, and it's like they're creating this either you're with me or against me. Are there are there uh, issues with having that type of mindset of, of this with me or against me type of mindset? Yeah, I think in, in a way that creates absolutes, right? And like if I look at to like the modern our modern ideas and modern culture, it was made in absolutes. Like there's an absolute right way to do this, absolute wrong way to do these things. And we know kind of from our postmodernist perspective, that's not the case, right? Um, there's some grays. You can be with me in some areas and you can't be in other areas. Does it mean that because the ones you're not, I'm all of a sudden can't, you know, interact with you? And so I think in some ways it, it cancels out the opportunity for growth, right? Because in some ways, some of those gray areas allow space to be able to grow, to learn more, to be more inclusive, whatever case may be, that can really help individuals. If we just cancel them out automatically and write them off, right, 
we don't we don't get an opportunity to have that that have that growth spurt to experience what that looks like, right? And and it's, and change is uncomfortable, right? And so sometimes it takes that great in order to push them through or us through for us to be able to experience certain things, right? And so I think by having some of those in some in some situations having that kind of that that mindset of like oh whatever it's, it's with me or you're not it's, it's all or nothing it doesn't allow space for people to to be more inclusive to, to learn more to be able to to do more right you could say you're not quite there and i'm gonna see if i can even help you right but saying oh no i can't just at all right i think that that makes it challenging because in some way in form or fashion if they're ever going to make those make those changes somebody's got to be able to support them and it could be somebody, it could be something, it could be a, it could be a podcast as great as this one. It could be other opportunities, something that's there that that at the right time came about and supported them and helped them see something different, right? Um, and I personally, you know, being in the in, in field, I want to help people reach these different milestones, right? And so that's why I think it's extremely important for me to 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 to, to keep open mind and, and to and to pick up where people are at, but also realize that like, okay, we got some work to do. How can I help you to make this work? How can I help you to get to this space so we can do the things that we really want to do together? Can you give us an example of, of that, of, of, uh, of helping someone get to that space? For, for example, yeah. uh, let's take something uh, related to the racial climate in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, either you're protesting and posting yeah. or uh, you're against me. Um, and, but then also in relationships, I think that a lot of times in relationships, uh, we create this all or nothing uh, dichotomy and, and, yeah. and, and uh, you know, forcing people into a corner. Yeah. So the, the one I, I thought of just immediately when you said both of those things. Um, and so being on Facebook. Right. And, and a little bit about me. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And so I grew up in the South um, and I have had experience with peers or people that I know that disagreed with the value of my life, right? And I take it that way because, you know, when they're saying things, I don't think they recognize the impact, right? Because they may have good intentions, whatever it may be, but it doesn't recognize the impact of some of the statements they're saying, the stance they may have. And so I had one colleague or or, or friend that I had in in middle school and high school, and we were going back and forth about Black Lives Matter. It was about three or four years ago. Um, Maybe around three years ago, there was... There was a big protest in Dallas. Um, unfortunately, some police officers got killed as well. And we were going back and forth, right? Just like, man, I can't believe these individuals. Like, they, they don't care. Be, be, Black Lives Matter doesn't care about care about anybody. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, do you not understand what is happening, right? And, like, we, I used to go back and forth. I used to feel so triggered by his post, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't, I couldn't erase him because I always wanted to know what other people, how they view me and view my life. Right. I always want to know. I never wanted to lose sight of what I'm doing, what I'm passionate about, because those are the reasons why. Right. And so I, I made sure that anytime he would say things or things would come about, I made sure to add a little tidbit, add a little research, add a little, add a little stats, add a little bit more clarity from a different perspective, just to continue to challenge him. Right. Because I, I in my mind, I'd be damned if this is the only narrative that's out there. If anybody that's connected with this person, they're going to see a different side, whether they want to believe it or not, they're going to see a different side. Right. And recently, we just had a conversation uh, about a month and a half ago, and he, and he messaged me on, on Facebook, and he was like, yo, I apologize. I didn't see it then, but I definitely see it now. Um, 
you know, when I was talking about power and privilege and all these different things, I think his natural response is to shut off. And, and I could have just said, you know what, forget it. I'm back. But I still try to educate. I still try to inform. I still try to share a different perspective. And because of that experience, he, he came back to me later on. I was like, yo, like it took me a couple of years to get there. You know, I think it had a lot to do with what I was seeing. Right. And wanting again to change some of those narratives of what he was seeing for me to see a different perspective. And once I did my own research, I realized that like, yo, black lives do matter. Right. And, and unfortunately, people do not recognize that above and beyond what they're experiencing for their own selves, because they, they, they fail to recognize the disparities, the inequalities that are present to a certain racial group that they don't have to experience themselves. Right. And, and, and it was honestly it brought me to tears. Right. Because this is somebody that I've been combating with for so long. Right. In a lot of ways, like I used to my heart used to like start to beat when he or, or, or to beat faster when he used to post things. I'm just like, oh, what's next? What's what's today? Right. Um, but because of those conversations, it helped plant a seed that was later maybe fostered and growing through his own research that allowed him to see a different perspective where now he's having conversations with even his peers, people that I can't reach, to let them know they're like, hey, like, I get your perspective, but let's look at this one too, right? And, and hopefully when they see that too, they realize that like, this is actually a lot of people's experience and this is just as real as yours, if not even realer, right? And so being able to, to, to navigate through those spaces with him allowed him to see something different, which now created somebody who can reach a different community or a different um population that i can't reach sharing this exact same message that i really care about as well when i think about it for relationships i think <laughs> Look, lj ahead. can i can i can i say can i uh say something real quick to that Go ahead. um because uh, for the listeners and, and and just for myself is is that even though we are talking about uh you know we're talking about specifically black lives matter what, what we're also talking about is how to be of influence to the people in your life. Yeah. It doesn't have to be about Black Lives Matter. It doesn't have to be about race. It could be about money. It could be about uh, sex. It could be about uh, travel. It could be about anything where you are trying to negotiate or have some measure of influence or you, you, you're, you're in a dispute with a friend, somebody who you've known for 5, 10, 20, 30 years or a family member, and you, you just keep butting heads. And what I saw, so what I want you to take away from this is that he said he just slowly kept educating him, dropping little nuggets. He didn't cancel him. He didn't block him. He maintained that relationship because, as he said, the growth, because, because, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, LJ, because of that pushback, because of that resistance, because of the challenge, it encouraged you to learn more. It encouraged yeah. you to dig deeper. You know, I, I had a conversation with a friend at, at lunch a couple of weeks back, and um, it, it, it brought me to tears. I was like, I can't believe this is coming out of your mouth. But, but what I did was I read more. I studied more. I, I, I suited up. I, armed, you know, I was like Batman yeah. who lost to defeat. And I was like, I got to go back. I got to go back and train. You know, I got I to study the ways of the, of the ancient uh, Sanskrit, you know. And yeah. uh and and now I'm, I'm 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 there's been growth and now I feel so calm and collected and uh, I'm, I'm I feel ready for battle. Uh, was that your experience, LJ, or was there a different? Absolutely, I think that that hit a nail on the head, right? And so at the time, I was doing research on 
children of divorce, finding more positive ways to handle adjustment. I switched my whole research agenda. I was like, you know what? This is great. And I love doing this work, but there's other work that needs to be done. Right. And I switched my research agenda, really focused on black men education, black boys in education. Right. And because of that, I learned so much about kind of the systemic institutional racism that maybe we don't even think about discrimination that's even present, the different ways of oppression. Right. And so I started to even look at videos that we that unfortunately is so easily accessed and available to us about a black man being killed and recognizes that message that's being sent to black boys. Right. And that really changed the way I viewed things. It really changed the way that I, I, I saw life as a whole and my purpose. And it gave me just a renewed feeling of how can I help my community? Right. How can I make a bigger difference? Right. If I'm, if I'm going to get this degree anyway, doing research or focusing on research, why not research something that I can really be passionate about, that I really care about, that really is going to help move my community forward and hopefully make a difference for years and years to come? I love that, man. I appreciate you taking time out to to address that. And, and then I cut you off if you could talk about uh, how you would do the same in relationships. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's funny that you you mentioned relationships because we've been hearing about disentanglement word a lot a lot lately, right? Jada and Pinkett, man. Jada, you know, <laughs> you know. And so sometimes when I think about that, it's all the absolute thinking, right? I think about cheating, cheating all absolute, right? And, and, and I talk about the, the importance of being able to have certain conversations with your partner to eliminate the gray areas, right? And so in this way, you know what is cheating, what is not cheating. Is me texting somebody, is me sending a picture, is me liking a picture, is me, is me going on a date, whatever it may be, whatever that is, there's a conversation that y'all need to have to further define what is infidelity or not within your relationship. And know that that can change in the beginning and it can move six months later to a year later, whatever case and be, depending on the level of trust, depending on what has happened, what has occurred, right? And so I have conversations with couples that, you know, maybe one partner's in there, it's like, my partner cheated. The other person's like, no, I didn't cheat. No, I didn't, right? Because they have different perspectives regarding a very common word, right? And so then I have to kind of work through them or work with them to figure out, is there some, maybe a boundary violation that took place, right? Do you, can you admit that maybe you didn't all absolutely cheat, right? But maybe there was a boundary violation. Maybe you tethered that line a little bit closer than what you should, right? And that's usually where the conversation has to start, right? And it's not until they're able to kind of view things from that way. They're like, maybe there was something that I could have done better, I shouldn't have done, that we're able to work through some things, right? And so in those situations, being that we all have different expectations, all have different views on what cheating is, having an absolute thing, absolute thinking, that may not help them work through their relationship. They may not help them heal through whatever trauma or experience that they may have. And so I really try to help them recognize it like, yo, there's a lot of gray area. And again, if awareness means opportunity for change, let's be aware of what this gray area is. Let's be aware of what this looks like for you all. And let's make some things very definite, make some things very clear. I, I kind of call it like the code of conduct for your relationship, right? Or you have a code of conduct for a business. You have a code of conduct for organizations or in the case would be, I have a code of conduct for your relationship. How are you going to maneuver with your partner? Right. What is that going to look like? What conversations are okay to have? What things are okay to do? And not only that, what are the consequences for these things? Right. And so if we're talking about if you're going to engage in these different behaviors, this is the consequences of it. Right. The consequences could be good or bad, depending on the situation. Right. And so really having them understand and work through these things so they can become one, be on one accord instead of just taking kind of what their perspective is and what the other person's perspective is and just leave it as, as that. Because if we have that perspective, we're not going to get anywhere. Right. 
And so utilizing that space or even that gray as an area to help them grow, uh, either for themselves or with one another. I love it. The gray is where we grow. Yeah. That, that, that might be the title of this, pod, this episode right here. Um, in terms of relationships, and, and I love that you talked about how uh, a boundary has been violated. I think that, uh, well, let me just talk from my perspective at least. And I, I've talked to so many people who are high achievers. And where they struggle uh, is in relationships. I had Kamal Ravikant uh, on a few days ago. He wrote, um, love yourself like your life depends on it. And even though he's an entrepreneur, he, he was in the military, he's hiked the Himalayas, he's achieved so much. He, he's a, 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 a lot of startups in Silicon Valley. And I asked him what his biggest relationship challenge is, and he said um, losing himself to the other person, giving yeah. so much of himself over. And, and I think that what happens is that uh, we struggle with the boundaries that we have set for ourselves in terms of how much do we give to the other person um, and how much do we give to the relationship, then it, it kind of spills out into other areas. How, how does someone figure out what their, what their boundaries are? Their own, you know, because I could, see, I could hear somebody going, well, how much of it is setting a boundary and how much of it is being selfish? And then we also have to be flexible with the boundaries, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think when I think about how do people kind of create those boundaries for themselves or figure out, you know, what is enough for them, I, I think about the importance of self-fulfillment and self-preservation. So what I mean by that is recognizing that we're not complicated individuals, we're complex, right? We have, if we will, like onions, we have multiple layers that we have to tend to in order to be the, the most effective or, or best preserved as possible, right? And it's important for us to be able to figure out what do we need to do in order to be able to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others, right? Because we're not taking care of ourselves. We can pour, 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 but eventually that tank's going to be empty. And unless we refill it, it's going to stay empty no matter how much we try to pour in other people's plates, right? And so it's being able to balance what you need to do to fulfill yourself and how much you can give to others. And so part of that is recognizing how much is in your cup, right? How much do you have in your cup? How much do you have at an emotional level? How much do you have at a mental level? How much do you have at a professional, spiritual, physical level to give to somebody else, right? But you have to be able to figure out what first what you have in your cup so you can know how much you can pour to somebody else before you need to refill for yourself, right? And it's kind of like that counterbalance between the two. You have to be able to know what you need for yourself and be able to figure out this is what you can give to others without losing yourself or running your cup empty to the point that you can't fulfill it without any without any major um, interjection. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it goes back into the go, go, go. And, uh, and uh, myself and I'm sure other people out there are feeling overwhelmed uh, with with the some people are working more now than they ever have or feeling a pressure to work more now. And so when we talk about refilling, as you said, you know, you, you give, 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 you got to refill the cup. What does refilling look like? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if you go back to kind of when I mentioned the onion, right. And I think about like our physical is our physical layers, like our outside layers, the layers that you can see the people that people can see within you. But we also know that's not the only parts that make up who we are. You have a mental layer, we have an emotional layer, 
We have a professional layer, a social layer with our interactions with other people, a spiritual layer maybe, right? And so being able to recognize that each of these layers need to be tended to, right? And I really help my clients and people that I work with, right, to be intentional about, about what are you doing and, and, and in what ways is what you're doing right now preserving, fulfilling those layers, right? So if you're going for a run, okay, that maybe can handle your, your physical, but can it handle anything else? Is it doing something to your mental? Is it doing something for you emotionally? Is you eating whatever, or if, if, if you reading a book, or with you meditating, what are these things that you're doing, fulfilling these layers that allow you to be that much more um, fulfilled when you're running your marathons? Because life is, in some ways, is a marathon, right? And so what can you do so you can be in the most tip-top shape at each of these layers to be as beneficial? And so I really walk people through those different eight dimensions of wellness, right? And think about like, hey, what can you do at the physical layer to take care of yourself? Up, oh, get enough sleep. That makes a lot of sense. Up, oh, work on your diet. Get, makes a lot of sense. What can you do on your mental layer? Up, oh, okay, have some alone time in the morning where you don't say anything or, or, or your, your readings, a book. What can you do in the emotional layer? Up, oh, working on, working on improving your emotional health, your emotional intelligence, reading books, going to different trainings that can allow you to work on these things. What are you doing at the spiritual layer? Right? You're meditating. Oh, you're going to different spiritual services or the case and be, right? What are you doing at your social layer? Oh, you have times when you're hanging with your friends in this capacity and it's what works for you, right? And so maybe you don't want to be out all night, but maybe you can, you can catch some drinks before or you can catch them to hang out before, right? Setting those boundaries, even within these constraints that, that allow you to be the most fulfilled when you're doing this marathon, right? When you're trying to preserve yourself in the best capacity so that you can give whatever you want to anybody that you feel is warranted or worthy enough of, of, of having to receive those, those, that fulfillment that you're willing to give them. I love that, man. Uh, addressing all six areas uh, on the dimension wheel I do a similar thing uh, called germs that the you know I've, I've always shared with the listeners. I journal, exercise, read, <clears throat> meditate, and self talk. I do that every day. I, I just click nice. through my progressions, and uh, the the moments where I become undone or unmanned or can't sleep or whatever, I just go back uh, to that. And um, I, I know that if I do those five things, I've I'm I'm pretty much uh, covering all the things. Uh, the only yeah. thing that uh, it doesn't really cover the social aspect because I, I, you know, I'm an introvert and I could, I can isolate myself uh, sometimes uh, more than I should. So sometimes that S stands for uh, socialization. Um, I, I saw that you also, you know, in your private practice, I know that people come into you uh, with relationship issues, but more uh, specifically sexual uh, issues. What, what uh, are you seeing the most in terms of sexual issues? Is it related to LGBTQ? Is it related to performance anxiety? Uh, what's, what are people coming to you? It's a mixture of things. Um, when I think about the most recent clients that I have or have had, um, I think about lack of intimacy as a whole, right? Um, there's some lack of performance. I also think there is some anxiety around performance, um, particularly with some of the the clients that I have that identify as women and that are maybe trying to trying to live up to the hype of the socialization behind things, right? Um, which is extremely unfortunate. Um, in addition to that, I think that there, there's some issues with just views of sex viewing it as bad again going back to kind of that socialization of things and how 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 those things kind of come about um 
views of sexual activities in a certain way due to outside pressures of maybe family, of cultural expectation, things like that as well. And so I, I love it because it's pretty broad, right? Um, I see a lot of people who also are working within the sex industry in some capacity or in open and non-traditional relationships as well. Um, and so it's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of things. I, I really enjoy it because it's, it's always something new. And, it's, and it's, 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 it's like a puzzle in some ways, right? But it's trying to figure out what is the best puzzle what is how do we make this puzzle the best for you right don't worry about what the outside says this is about you right because uh, sex is something we do for with ourselves for ourselves not for the outside world in in in, in a lot of different ways and so being able to really focus on how can it be beneficial for you and what can we do to kind of help you get the most fulfillment out of these different processes all right brother you brought up performance anxiety in women and it's I cannot believe I have never thought about that. Yeah. Can, can oh, you yeah. can you talk about what does that look like? What does it mean? And how do how do we help women? Because it, it, it's, it's I'm sure it's similar to men. When I I played college football, I had performance anxiety on a field, uh, yeah. in in therapy, in a bedroom. Like I yeah, I definitely have struggled with that. But in what yeah. talk to me, brother? Absolutely. So think about a socialization, right? we view men as the ones that can have sex all the time. They can have all these partners, but we don't view that for women, right? We think of women have too many sexual partners. We're looking at them different. We, we have names and things like that, that we view women as if they engage in these behaviors. Right. And so in some ways, sometimes women are socialized to not want to explore their sexual identity. Right. And so when they get in the bedroom, when they have guys that have been watching all these videos of women doing things this way and that way, they have these unrealistic expectations for their partner. Right. And so they want their partner to be able to do this on command and all this different or whatever case may be. And maybe they cannot. Maybe they're uncomfortable. Maybe maybe men haven't took the time to really help them, make them feel comfortable with their foreplay or whatever case may be to explore different ways for them to be able to connect with themselves. Right. To to enjoy the process in the same capacity. Right. And so I think for sometimes it's, it's conversations that I have with women. It's like, hey, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable masturbating. I don't feel comfortable touching myself. Right. That's not for me. And that creates a unrealistic expectation that I have to get pleasure from a man or I get pleasure from another partner. Right. Which which in in some cases may not be as effective or beneficial if they feel like they're already struggling to to climax or to 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 get their get their O's. Right. O's as orgasms. And so it's it's a conversation that that we have. Right. When they say, hey, I, I can't orgasm. Okay. Let's go back to the history of that. What did you learn about orgasms? What did you learn about sex? Right, Really help unravel some of these things and see what type of expectations or pressures they may be experiencing that may be leaking over to the bedroom. Right, Maybe they're not focusing on enjoying and just living in a the moment. They're focusing on how can I please this person or how can I make this person happy and, 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 and do whatever they need me to do, but I can't do it. And that becomes the, the, the struggle within their brain instead of just enjoying what's happening in the moment if they're enjoying it in, in a way in capacity which they want to. Right. And so it's really helping them just be able to unravel some of these pieces, being able to be comfortable with themselves, be comfortable with their body, be willing to explore their body if they're willing and open to. Right. And learning more about themselves because they're going to be that much more confident in the bedroom whenever they bring it in. Right. And so sometimes, you know, if they experience certain things, especially sexually, it's, it's like, hey, OK, you got there before. How'd you get there before? I don't know. It just happened. 
right? So now we're talking about like, okay, what are the things that you like? If you can't, if you can't figure it out with with your partner, maybe you can figure out yourself. So then you communicate with your partner. So you're getting as much out of this as they are, right? And so really trying to work some through some of those things that they can experience within a sexual realm, because unfortunately we live in a, in a society that has socialized women to not explore their sexual identity, to not explore their sexual selves in the same capacity that we've done for men. Uh, you know, it, it brings to light the idea of. Uh, when we think about playing with yourself or masturbation and how much that's been ridiculed in movies and social media and throughout time. And it's really through exploration. I mean, that's we, we, in the beginning, we talked about reflection and getting to know yourself, but that was more of an internal thing where uh, there, there also needs to be room for an external exploration of oneself. Uh, yeah. without it so that you're right when when now when two adults come together they can communicate more effectively with each other as to what each other needs uh, because they've taken the time out to figure it out for themselves and maybe with someone else uh, and and to explore that so I, I appreciate you addressing that absolutely absolutely yeah, I think it's extremely important right and so being able to communicate what you need when you need it right is important and, and unfortunately, we can't expect other people to do things that we are not able to communicate them to do, right? And so if, if we have certain expectations and we're not able to communicate things or communicate expectations, there's a gap. we got to find a way to bridge that gap. You, you talked about intimacy, and a lot of times, you know, I, I'm, I know now, and I'm sure that you, you're aware that the, the intimacy, the connection in the bedroom usually happens before we get into the bedroom. It's Absolutely. a, it's a, it's a day or days of kind of teasing each other, uh, glances here and there, doing little things. And, and it's all just one big buildup. Uh, it's, it's all, everything that happens before we get in the bedroom is all foreplay or not all, but uh, a percentage of that has to say. be some foreplay to, to build up and, and, and build the excitement. Um, Absolutely. When, when people talk about, uh, when women say they're not in the mood, um, mm-hmm. what what are they really saying? What what's, what what's, what does that really mean? I'm too I'm too tired. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes yeah. you're not in the mood. But usually, what are they really saying? Yeah, I think you you touched on a lot there. You haven't taken the capacity. You haven't taken the time in order to allow me to be aroused by the idea of engaging with you, right? And, and, and it's, it's that it's that two piece, right? And so if you think about it, foreplay to me is not just what you do right before you have sex, as you said. It can be text messages, it can be conversations, right? You've had a conversation with somebody, you just were just so like, wow, like there's an amazing person, like wow, right? Like this is like everything you say just make your just make different parts of your body tingle, right? And so those things are just as much foreplay as what you do when you you're kissing or other things like that. And I think. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a society where it's time of the essence, right? And so we got to do things in a certain capacity. We're impatient. And in a lot of ways, we have to be very patient. And sometimes being patient starts two days before when we actually want to do something. It starts three days before, a week before, right? It may start hours before, right? But it's important to be able to, to take that time. I, I, I am a firm believer that, you know, sex, if it can be, right, should be enjoyable. Not necessarily transactional if it doesn't have to be for you. It could be enjoyable. And I think sometimes in relationships, sex becomes so transactional, 
right? And when it becomes sex, sex becomes transactional, it takes away the passion, takes away the intimacy from it, which then allows couples to come see me being like, hey, I feel like we lost our spark. We feel like every Tuesday, this is what happens. We do it here. We do it at this position, whatever case would be. We're doomed. We're done, right? I'm tired of that. I'm bored. I'm not in the mood anymore, right? Give me something different. Do something that's going to allow me to, to, to work on my arousal package for you, right? Other than what we have done and we got accustomed to, or which is our norm of things, right? Think outside the box. Introduce new things. Introduce new strategies, right? Try new. Try, try to introduce toys in the bedroom. Do different things that excite, right? When you do something new or you get something new, you're excited about trying things out, right? You're not excited about trying something out that you've been doing over and over again for a long, long time period, right? And so it's really trying to help them just view things in a different light and figure out what are different types of foreplay than what you just are used to seeing or hearing or being socialized or learning about within your society, with your friends, or with, 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 with TV or other things we watch like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Experiment with the location and 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 put on a wig or get into some cosplay. Yeah. Get that get that Bugs Bunny costumes. You know, there you go. And it don't have to stick. It's just about throwing some things at the wall, mixing it up, and and seeing what happens. Uh, LJ, tell me what, tell me about this Black Therapy Fridays. What what is that about, brother? Yeah. So Black Therapy Fridays is something that uh, started a little bit over a year and a half, uh, maybe close to two years. And so me being in school, right, as a therapist, you know, therapists always got something to say, right? So I'll be on social media and I'll, I'll learn about this this week and I'll be sharing it with my followers and things like that. And one of my colleagues was like, yo, like you should like have a day where you like answer people's questions instead of people just coming on you on random days so they know like a set time that you can have a conversation with you and like you should like name it something, right? And I was like, okay, that's not like a good idea. I'm already doing it anyway five days, six days out the week. So maybe if I were to just kind of figure out maybe one or two days to maybe have this conversation. So I came up with the phrase Black Therapy Fridays, right? Um, and Black Therapy Fridays to me is so important because it it, it, it it gives a conversation to a type of resource that has been untapped within the Black community. That's been untapped within Black and Brown communities, right? And so it gave me opportunity to normalize mental health gave me an opportunity to promote uh, mental health services. It gave me an opportunity to inspire others, to empower others. It gave me an opportunity just to find different ways to connect our communities together to bridge this gap, utilizing this resource. And so now Black Therapy Fridays is, is, is bigger than just the conversation that I had, you know, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, we're back and forth with certain people. Now it's, it's, it's a movement, right? And so I really view Black Therapy Fridays as a mechanism or a way to normalize um, mental health within our communities. It's, it's a way that we have conversations about things. Like I, I made a video last week about entanglements with, 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 with Jada and Will. I made a video a week before about the COVID experience, right? And so it's different ways that I can connect with the community for those that maybe are, are not so trusting of mental health providers or, or healthcare providers as a whole, which makes a lot of sense, especially within the Black culture, why we don't trust healthcare providers through our, our country's history, right? But I think a way to change that is when other people who look like you, right, who not only understand you, Right, or understand your experience, but have lived your experience in some capacity, can connect with you about the different ways this can be beneficial for you, about different ways that this can be a resource for you. Um, because I view therapy in that way. I view therapy like like tutoring. You know, some people 
failing and want to get a C or C want to get a B, B want to get an A or A, keep their A, right? At any time, you can tap into therapy and be able to put in the work that's necessary in order to get something better out of it. And so trying to find ways to get snippets of that in, in, in short capacities to a larger audience that maybe I can't reach within just a therapy session to give them maybe some tools that can help them get along the way, help them get into a therapy room, help them feel more comfortable about this process, knowing that like it's not just for sick people, right? It's for any and everybody that can benefit from this process at any point in time. Why do people of color, and when we say people of color, yeah. not just black people, right? We're, we're talking about brown uh, Asian, um, what, why don't people of color, uh, trust the, the mental health industry? Yeah. Historically. Yeah. I I think it goes back into mental health. It it has the word health in it, right? Part of it. Um, and you think about the syphilis trials and things like that, that really you above and beyond just the historical oppression and historical mistreatment of, of different people of color in the healthcare fields. I think it's another capacity of, because of this treatment, knowing that mental health is also an important aspect, we have learned to deal with things in different ways, right? We, we, we learned that we can't trust the healthcare system, so we, we're going to allow you to, to have access to our minds too? No, we're going to pray about it. No, we're going to do other things. No, we're going to, you just space ourselves, whatever we can, so we don't have to be put, to put ourselves in a position to be vulnerable or subjective to things that maybe utilized not for the betterment of me, but for testing, but for assessment, but for evaluation, right? I think about even the history within black women and how they're more likely to uh, to die within going through the process of pregnancy and things like that, because, not because, you know, because of our genetic makeup, but because doctors are not listening to us. They're not valuing what we're saying. They're not, they're not recognizing the, the emotional experience that we're having and, and viewing it as is. We're being too dramatic. We're being too, you know, whatever, right? It's not really understanding, being attentive to the needs that that are are necessary for our survival. In the exact same way, I think the mental health field has created and has been built not for people of color. I think about the theories that I've learned. I think about the things that I've learned um, within schooling. It wasn't normed on people who look like me. It was normed on the white majority. And so even some of the things that are are in place to serve, right, are not updated. They're not tailored to the experiences of people of color. And so it takes other people of color to recognize this and be like, all right, I like this theory, but this doesn't really fit the populations that I really want to serve. So what can I do to narrow this around, change this around, do what I can to make sure that it's being tailored, right? Because what's one menu does not work for all. We're not going to eat off the same menu, right? What can I do to tailor my approach, tailor my training, tailor my theoretical orientation to better fit the people that are in front of me, right? And I think sometimes we may think that we can utilize some things that are maybe older, older theoretical backgrounds, things like that within the mental health field to serve our communities, and it's not being beneficial. It's more frustrating than ever, right? And I think because of that, I think mental health is one of those word-of-the-mouth fields, right? You either have a good therapist, it'll work well for you, you're going to tell everybody about it, or you're going to hate it and tell everybody about it still, right? And so because of that, I think it's important that we're doing what we can on our end, doing the work that we need to do, that we can make sure that we're tailoring our process to serve the population that we're seeing. That hasn't always been the case. And because there's a many there's there's years of history when that hasn't been the case, there's there, there's a lot of training that's going into finding ways to be more attentive to communities of color, right? 
I'm thinking about even at a federal level, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. I'm a part of this fellowship called a Minority Fellowship Program. It's to serve at-risk communities. It's to serve underprivileged and marginalized identities and, and, and those affected by substance use, right? Literally, we're, we're now allocating resources to a community because we realize that we haven't been doing the best by them. So now we have to to make sure that we are amplifying what we're doing in this area to make sure that we're attending to the needs that are necessary. OJ, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like people should know in regards to uh, their mental health, or relationship health, uh, or a- anything that uh, for, for people who may be struggling and having suicidal thoughts uh, that, that you want to mention? Yeah. Um, definitely think it's a process, right? And for those maybe that are struggling with suicidal thoughts, right? I think suicidal thoughts are part of like the what ifs. What if I did this? What if this happened? Right? What would, what would occur? And what I try to introduce is a different what if. Um, what if what you're experiencing right now is going to help you and your ability to save others by allowing you to be able to connect with them at a whole different level, right? And so what if the pain that you're experiencing, the hurt that you're experiencing right now is going to allow you to connect with somebody else to save them at a different time and later date? Um, LJ, please plug all your things. And where can people find you? Where can people yeah. uh, on social media, the group, everything? Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm on Facebook at The Black Male Therapist, LLC. Um, I'm on Instagram at The Black Male Therapist. I am on Twitter at Black Therapy Fry, F-R-I, short for Friday. Um, as well as I have a website where you can book my services, different trainings and organizations. And of course, uh, my apparel as well that normalizes mental health. And so today I have a shirt that says black therapy Fridays, tune in. It's a shirt just to really just to, to support the movement. Um, I'm leasing new apparel in the next couple of weeks as well that I'm really excited about just, just really trying to normalize mental health. I think that's something that's really huge. If, if, if we want to normalize mental health, we got to be able to make it fashionable. We got to be able to figure out how to rock it in different ways and forms of fashions. And so I want to use fashion or apparel as a way of normalizing mental health in our communities. Um, and so if you're interested in looking at my apparel or just in, interested in, in my services, go to www.theblackmaletherapist.com. I appreciate you. And, and you already addressed this, but in, in case you have further thoughts, because I asked this of all my guests, um, at the end of the podcast, because yeah. I imagine there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Yeah. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, LJ? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what if what are you experiencing right now? Is the door opener for you to be able to help others. So what if you're experiencing right now is actually part of your journey that's going to allow you to be impactful, to be influential for many others who may be experiencing something similar to what you're experiencing at this moment in time. 
Thank you so much, LJ. Thank you so much, listeners. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Or call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 273-TALK or all the other numbers listed in the show notes. There's just not numbers in there. There's, there's text messages. Uh, if, if you can't talk, there, there are groups that you can join. They are free or they might be on a sliding scale or if they cost their or organizations or mental health organizations uh, that you can contact that can help you pay for those services. We've had guests on here who, who uh, I forget, uh, she, I forget if it was Sheila King or who it was. Their bill was like $28,000 and the organization helped them get it down to $700. So there is help. You have to be willing to ask for it and reach your hand out and be vulnerable and share that, but you have to make that first step. Uh, thank you so much, Lawrence, for joining us. Thank you so much, no, listeners. Thanks for having me. Let's get to tomorrow together.